0: Man, is it good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, this morning, I want to continue a sermon series entitled Getting Tough with Temptation. And to do so, I'm going to tell you two Bible stories. You go, two? Yeah, two. And I, I'm going to give a little more time to the first one, and, and, and I'll be brief with the second one, okay? But I've got to tell you two. The first story comes from the life of a man named David. If you've been to Golden Corner Church any length of time, you should be familiar with David. Because last year we devoted 18 Sundays to getting to know him better. David rose from absolute obscurity to become Israel's second king. And how did he do that? I can explain it in one word, God. God chose him to be the king. Then by means of a skirmish with a giant named Goliath, God vaulted David into the national limelight. God gave David great success as a military leader. And through all his success, it became obvious that David was destined to be the next king. God protected David from Israel's reigning king, Saul, for 13 long, frightening years. During those 13 trying years, God provided David with everything he needed and then some. 20 years after David found out that God had chosen him, David finally took the throne and reigned over all of Israel. And we pick up on his story about 20 to 25 years after he became king. At this point in David's life, he had already received his A.A rp card you know what i'm talking about he was somewhere between the age of 50 and 55 david had everything a human being could ever want he was famous popular powerful wealthy and wildly successful he had a large and caring family and most importantly god and david were tight Now, what I'm about to tell you is recorded in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 11. It was springtime in Israel. And in the spring, the kings would gather their armies together and they would go off to war. And so this particular spring, David, for whatever his reason was, chose not to do that. He chose to stay at home. And he sent his commander, Joab, out with his armies to war. So immediately. I want you to notice something. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Right? He wasn't where he was. Supposed to be. The Bible said that one day. He got up from his afternoon nap. <laughs> now his men are out there. Risking their lives. They're fighting. And what is he doing? He's napping. And one of the sermons. Uh, that we have. That I shared with you. I said. You know. The enemy loves to spring temptation upon us at times when we're vulnerable. And one of those times is when we are bored. And I think on this particular day, David was bored out of his mind. So he, I, he walked out on the roof of his house. It was kind of like a patio. I can see him in his jammies, you know, his hair sticking up, you know, just what am I going to do with the rest of the day? And he walks out on the edge of his roof and he looks down on the roof below him. And there is this woman, and the Bible describes her says of unusual beauty. Now you think about this unusual, not just beautiful. This woman was unusually beautiful, and she was naked. Huh? That's the way we say it around Oconee County. She was naked, and she was bathing. So here is old David, you know, he gets up from his nap, he's bored out of his mind, he's not worried out it, he looks down and whoop. I'll tell you what, at this point David had some decisions to make. I'm trying to be very careful here, you know. I know this is a PG-13 crowd, I'm trying to really be careful here, you know. Now th- David had options, at this moment he had options, and he chose all the wrong options. You know, he could have, he should have. Turned around and went back to the house, right? I mean, he should have taken three or four cold showers. He should have put on the royal running shoes and ran about 10 miles. He should have called a best friend and said, uh, I am really facing some temptation. Can you come over and pray with me and talk me down here, pal? There was a lot that he should have done. But he did the one thing he shouldn't have done. He just kept looking. Well, the next thing you know, it's kind of the way temptation works. One thing kind of leads to the other, and he takes another step in the wrong direction. He called one of his servants up, and he said, (laughs) who's that woman down there? Well, I, I don't know. Well, you need to go find out. So the guy goes and finds out, comes back. I don't know if she's still bathing, and, and, and if he's still looking. I don't know exactly what, what's going on. Let me say this. One commentator that I read, read from this week said he really blamed Bathsheba with a lot of this. What was she doing naked on her roof? Well, knowing that it was right under the King David's roof, here's what. I don't blame her at this point, not at all. You know why? David wasn't where he's was supposed to be. She's assuming the king is out of town. I think she's innocent at this point. But the messenger goes, comes back and said, uh, hey, uh, boss, this is what I found out. Her name's Bathsheba. And said, uh, she's the wife. I think this servant is trying to warn him, trying to help him, knowing, you know, I think my boss here is teetering on a really bad decision. I think he's about to do something terribly wrong. He said, she's the wife. In other words, she's married, man. Now, of course, David was married. He had, we don't know how many wives at this point. And then he had this group of women called concubines. And you say, what were concubines? They were kind of like women who got no benefits from being a wife. But all they had to do was domestic chores and, and have sex with David. So he had his wives and then he had his concubines. And so he's, you know, he's married, she's married. And then he, this is what the servant says, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That should have meant something to David because Uriah was one of his best friends in the world. Uriah was a part of a 37-man circle that formed David's inner circle. Uriah was a foot soldier. He was out there with Joab fighting every day for Israel. David was the one who invested into Uriah's life and helped him become the man that he was. So in other words, the servant is saying, she's married, dude, and she's married to one of your best friends. David, again, he has a chance to put the brakes on this. He didn't. He said, send some guys to bring her to my room. So they go down. I believe once again. I mean, here comes the king's... uh, Escort service? I don't know what to call them. That probably wasn't the best term that I could have used. Well, she went with them. I I think, again, she's innocent. I mean, when the king calls, you go. I I don't think she's thinking anything illicit is is taking place. I think she's been summoned by the king. She's going to go see what's, what's going on. These men bring her to David's room, and then I don't know what really led up to this, but the two had consensual sex. Now she's no longer innocent. They committed adultery. And then she went her way, and they both went on with their lives. You know, it's a one-time deal. I don't think they ever planned for it to happen again. But sometime later, David got a little note from Bathsheba. And I I can almost see him, you know, when he's going through the mail, and he goes, whoa, you know, and I almost kind of secretly, seeing what she had to say, it was brief, it was clear. He didn't need an interpreter. He simply said, I'm pregnant. Do you understand that when we say yes to temptation, we may soon say hello to complication? They did. And here's the deal, Uriah's on the battlefield, it could be months, it could be over a year before he comes back. And here's what they know, when Uriah comes back, he's either going to see you very, very pregnant, or there's going to be a baby in the house, and he is going to put two and two together and go, how could this have happened, honey, I wasn't here. Now David again is faced with some decisions, maybe it's time to come clean, huh? But he, just, he, he thinks to himself, I can fix this. I know exactly what to do. He sends a letter to Joab, the commander, and said, have Uriah come in for a little furlough. Uriah comes home to Jerusalem. He has a meeting with him. And he fakes like he's, he just needs a report on, on what's going on on the battlefield. To tell me what's going on. How's this going what's that, you know? And he, he, that's not it. You know what he's wanting? He wants you. After the dinner, after the meeting, he, wa- he assumes Uriah's going to go home and sleep with his wife. And then, whew, problem solved. When, when, she, when it's obvious she's pregnant and she gives birth, it, it was that one night you came in on furlough. I want to tell you what, Uriah didn't go home to his wife. He slept on the ground with the palace guard. So the next morning, David calls him in and says, Dude, why, kinda, I'm not understanding. You could have gone home and slept with your wife. You slept with those men, on the ground with those men. And what Uriah said had to cut David like a knife. He said, oh, how could I have done that when all my brothers are out there sleeping on the ground, risking their lives? I didn't feel like it would have been right for me to wine, dine, and sleep with my wife. Holy moly. He had such integrity. And, and, and that, I mean, that had to speak to David. Up. Oh. David, again, has the opportunity to do the right thing. He's got a choice to make. He said, oh, I can still make this work. So he has Uriah come back that night. And guess what King David did? He got him drunk. Sloppy drunk. He thought, well, now, you know, he'll drop his guard. He won't be so moral now. He'll go sleep with his wife. And you know what? The drunken Uriah did. The drunken Uriah still had enough integrity that he didn't go home and sleep with his wife. He slept with the palace guard. David's faced with decisions. What's he going to do? Do I, just come, do I just raise a white flag and say, this is not working. It's time to come clean. He said, nope, I got this figured out. He wrote a letter to Joab, commander of his army. And he said, I'm sending Uriah back to you. And, and when the fighting is the fiercest, I want you to put him on the front line. And then I want you to pull back away from him so that he is killed. Signed, David. Folded, sealed with a king's seal. Now he needs a delivery man. And whom did he choose to take the letter back to Joab? He went to Uriah, his best friend. Hands in the note and said, give this to Joab and then he'll know what to do. Uriah walks into battle with that note, not understanding its content. Gives it to Joab. Joab opens it up. It came from the king. So whatever the king wants, the king gets. And so in their next battle, he pushed Uriah to the front lines. They pull back. Uriah is killed, but also several other soldiers are killed. Word gets back to Jerusalem. King David, we've suffered great losses. And oh yeah, by the way, Joab said, you need to know that Uriah is dead. Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead and of course she was grief stricken heartbroken she went into a period of mourning and when the period of mourning was over David sent for her and they were married and the Bible said she became one of his many wives and in time she gave birth to their son now let me tell you what you're thinking you're thinking this dude did a lot of bad stuff and apparently got away with it oh no no the very last sentence in chapter 11 says this. God was displeased with what David had done. You know what that means? It means that somebody was watching every bit of this. Somebody listened in on every conversation. Somebody read his, David's mind through this whole process. Knew every detail about it. And it was God. David's God. And the Bible says that God was not happy with all of this. child is born, I, I don't know, it's maybe about a year after this adulterous night, God sent a prophet to talk with David. And we're going to read this. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning of verse number 1. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. And it is, Nathan's probably his pastor. His, you know, And so Nathan said, David, let me, let me share this with you. There's something you need to know. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Look at David's reaction. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole. For having no pity. Oh, man, he's so hypocritical. Look what happened next it said then nathan said to david you are the man Man, you want to talk about a drop the mic statement dude you are the man huh i think that's i think that's so powerful i, I believe david's sitting there for a minute going what Nathan to say, the Lord God of Israel says, make sure you understand, this is not your preacher talking. The Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you, look at this, I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered. No, you didn't draw the bow back. You didn't send the arrow in his direction, but you murdered him. You murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. Stolen her. From this time on your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your wife to be your own. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. What is it? Live by the sword. What does that mean? You know what God? And he goes on to explain. I'm not going to read the rest, but he goes on to explain. He said, "Here's what I mean by that: Trouble is going to dog you and your family for the rest of your life. Going to dog you. Your family is going to be plagued with problems. Problems that play out in the eyes of the public. What you did in secret, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to do in public. You know what David said. I sinned against him. God said, I mean, Nathan said, that's right. And God has forgiven you. You're not going to die. And, guys, I'm just going to tell you that the way, I'm going to tell you the way the book reads, I'm going to tell you the way the story ends here. Nathan said, You're not going to die, but your boy is. What? You're not going to die, but your boy is. The Bible said God struck that child with a terminal disease. And for seven days, David begged with prayer and fasting, please spare him. God did not. Having heard that story, this question should have come to your mind. Is it possible to get tough with temptation? Is it? That's been been, uh, the aim of this entire series is to help us get tough with temptation. Is that really possible? I mean, after all, Adam and Eve didn't. Huh? We looked at a dude named Shechem. He sure didn't get tough with temptation. Samson didn't. We talked about him last week. And now we're looking at David. David wasn't tough to tempt. And the Bible declares him to be a man after God's own heart. David loved God more than anything, yet he succumbed to temptation. And it appears to me, Scott, rather easily. Ronnie, you asked, didn't Jesus himself say of us, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Therefore, can any of us really become tough to tempt? Or are we all simply fighting a losing battle? Is it possible to get tough with temptation? Now, with that question in your mind, let's look at our next story. It's the story of a young man named Joseph, and I promise you, listen, I got 12 minutes. Listen, huh? I, I believe I'm going to wrap this up with time to spare. The question is, if, if these people that were reading about they couldn't get tough with temptation, who are we to think we can? Is it really possible? You got that right here? Joseph was the 11th son born of a man named Jacob. He was his father's favorite son, and Jacob didn't try to hide it. Therefore, Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him. At 17 years of age, God showed Joseph through two dreams that he would one day be a great ruler. And then Joseph went and shared these two dreams with his 10 older brothers. And the Bible says that they hated him even more. As a matter of fact, it was so bad, Joseph's brothers plotted to kill him. And and even tried. tried. They dropped him in an empty well and intend to walk away and leave him there to starve to death. However, they eventually came up with a plan that would rid them of their brother. While bringing them financial profit, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to a band of slave traders who carried Joseph on down into Egypt. Upon his arrival, Joseph was sold again. This time he was purchased as a slave by a wealthy, powerful man named Potiphar. God enabled Joseph to succeed in everything he did. Kind of like that. God enabled him to succeed at everything he did. Potiphar took notice. And over a ten-year period of time, he promoted him again and again until Joseph became the administrator over Potiphar's entire massive estate. Now, this is where we pick up on the story. We're going to read it. We're going to read it. Genesis chapter 39. Let's begin reading with verse number 6. It said, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything else. Now, this is a wealthy dude. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. He said, what kind of food to eat? He didn't worry about the cattle, the financial records, the pastures. He didn't worry about the staff. He didn't worry about anything. When he came home from work, it was like this. What we eat, and that's all he ever had to worry about. Joseph took such care. Now, look what he says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Now, guys, from personal experience, I found that to be both a blessing and a curse. Uh, you know, it's just my cross to bear, I guess. <laughs> like being old, you can make fun of yourself, and you don't feel bad, you know? (laughs) Joseph was very, very handsome, kind of like Bathsheba, unusually beautiful. He was very handsome, and he is well put together. He's young, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. I'll tell you what, sexual temptation is not just a man thing, is it? She began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me. Now, she, she was a woman of few words, kind of direct. <laughs> you know, come and sleep with me. And Look at this. She demanded. Hey, he was her property. He was a slave. So she demanded him, you know, come get into bed, dude. Huh? I didn't cross the line there, did I? I said, We're still, we still kind of behind the line. Don't you look at this? Look at this. She demanded, but Joseph, what's that word? He refused. No, flat out, no. Oh, look what he, Look at his explanation. Because we're really this we're building up to something. He said, "Look." He told her, "My master, trust me with everything in his entire household." No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. You, uh, Scott Lee and I were talking about this week, and he pointed out, you know what? Oh, Joseph, is the exact situation that Adam and Eve were in. God said, I'm going to withhold only one thing from you, and that's the fruit of that tree. What are you going to do with it? Joseph's in the same situation. My master has withheld one thing from me. That's you. You're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? Wicked. It it would be a sin against God. I didn't read that right. He said it would be a great sin against Potiphar. God. So, what do you think she did? Don't look at that screen. Don't you read? Look at me. Look at me. What do you think she would do there? Do you think she went, Oh, man, I'm sorry. I guess that made you a little uncomfortable. Don't file a sexual harassment suit against me. And, you know, I just kind of thought there was a little something, a vibe there between us. And uh, so apparently not. So can we just forget this and please don't ever tell Potiphar? No. Look what she did. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day remember what we talked about in one of the earlier sermons that when the enemy tries to tempt us he 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 chooses bait that he feels would appeal to us with David it was women and he did that he he presents it at times when we're vulnerable and if we say no the devil doesn't go doggone it I thought that would no 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 he throws the bait over and over and over and over and over and over you know what he does he puts the pressure on And man, every day, here was this woman. You know, Joseph's alone in a foreign country. He's unattached anyway. He's been done wrong so many times. It would appear to me that this would have been the, you know, if there was an excusable situation, Joseph had it like, you know, I've I've been done wrong by so many people so many times. Oh, yeah, honey. Give me a minute. Look what he did he refused day after day day after day no matter how much the pressure built no matter how much pressure she applied day after day he'd go no 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 oh, I like this next line he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible that's wise talk more about that next week okay i don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much what we're going to be talking about but we're going to talk about that one next. he kept out of her way as much as possible one day however no one else was around when he went in to do his work she came and she did more than demand this time she came and grabbed him by his cloak physically demanding Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he, big, big, big word here. You see it? Ran. He ran from the house. Let's go back to your question. Is it possible to get tough with temptation? The answer is a resounding yes. Joseph did. Joseph got tough with temptation. And if he could, we can. Here's the lesson from Joseph's story. The only lesson I'm going to share with you today, and we better get this. We can get tough with temptation. You got it? We can do that. We can be just as tough to tempt as Joseph. You ask Ronnie, how? How was Joseph able to consistently say no to temptation? Consistently able to say no. Here's what we're going to do. You ready? Next week we're going to take a look at David and a look at Joseph. And we're going to contrast those two men. What was it about David that made him easy to tempt? What was it about Joseph that made him tough to tempt? We're going to learn some things from these two men that help us get tough with temptation. Let's pray together. I cannot adequately thank you enough, God, for your word. you know us you know that we are weak you know that we are surrounded by opportunities to indulge our sinful desires you know we're up against a cunning adversary you know all that's at stake and so you literally filled up your book the Bible with stories about men and women some who failed some who succeeded and you did that for our sake, so that we could learn from them and avoid their mistakes. So I'm praying, God. I'm praying that you will help us, that our eyes will be open to truth that impacts us, that finds a resting place in our minds and our hearts, that changes the way we think. Lord, that changes the way we live, that strengthens us and enables us to get tough with temptation. We ask this together in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed. You'll be here next week. You're going to be here next week? Good.